Good morning, Grace Church. How's it going? Good? All right. I love it. Well, hey, my name is Josh. I'm the newest addition to the pastoral team. Uh, if you are new here, welcome. I am also new. Let's, let's be friends. Let's do this together. Uh, I want to invite you back. We're having a couple of Christmas Eve services on Christmas Eve. So come back, hang out with us. Uh, I'm speaking again then. And then for the two weeks after that, we're not having church. So don't come here. I will not be here. No one will be here. It will be cold and dark and lonely, which is kind of what the sermon's about uh, in just a minute. But don't come back. And then January 9th, we're going to start a sermon series uh, that we'll be kicking off together in the new year. So come back for that as well. So if you're new, welcome. Hello. Good to see you. If you are not new to Grace Church, this probably feels a little bit like an arranged marriage where it's like, here I am and here you are, and we have to like get to know each other. And so uh, I did some research on arranged marriages. Uh, India still uh, provides 90% of the marriages in India are arranged marriages, uh, and they have a 1% divorce rate. So that's good for us. That's, uh, that's very promising for this arrangement. Uh, 1%. I, I, I'm positive about that. Uh, I've certainly uh, been praying for you and have been excited uh, for this opportunity. And, and I know that many of you have been praying for us, and we're grateful for that. We, we felt welcomed, and we love it. Uh, my wife and kids are we're thrilled to be here. Uh, so in all that prayer, it's, it's been interesting to go, where do you start this journey with us? Like, how, how do we do this together? And so uh, it, it seemed like in connection with the Grace uh, Christmas at Grace theme, what steals your joy, that we have a good starting place in Galatians chapter 5. So if you grab your Bible, turn to Galatians chapter 5. We will be there in just a moment. Um, and I think by the end of this, you'll feel like, okay, that is a good place for us to start. That This is a good starting place. This is a good pointer of direction for us. So as you're turning there, I want to give you a little bit of context. Uh, the book of Galatians was written about 15 or 20 years after the resurrection of Jesus. And after Jesus resurrected, the Holy Spirit is sent to the disciples, and the disciples go, and they start sharing the gospel uh, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth, and it works. And so churches are being established in different places, and one of those places is called Galatia. They, they plant a church there. Paul is actually one of the people that plants that church. He stays there for over 10 years, and then he moves on to plant other churches, and he looks back on the church in Galatia, and he hears news that there have been false teachers that have infiltrated the church. There's, there's false teaching happening. There's, there's an imposition of the law, which he has already taught, like Christ has set us free from that stuff. And so he writes a letter, which is fun fact. Most of the New Testament is Paul writing letters back to the churches that he's planted. Now, if you've ever read the book of Philippians, Paul's like, I love you. I miss you. I can't wait to see you again. I remember you in all my prayers. And if you read the first chapter of Galatians, it's like, who has bewitched you, Galatians? You let these false teachers in what has gone wrong. If anyone preaches a different gospel, let him be accursed. It's like a hot first chapter, like first person to read it. Like you ever seen Harry Potter, those howlers, you know, when you open it? No? Any? Oh, yes. Okay, this is going to work. If, if I can make a Harry Potter reference, and you, I'm sure we'll get emails about that, I'm sure. But, okay, not in my notes. The word bewitched is a fun word. You should try to use that sometime. Maybe, maybe next year if someone is listening to Christmas music before Thanksgiving and you, and you walk into their house, you can say, who has bewitched you? Like you could try that. It's, it's a good word. It's got, it's got good uh, leverage to it. You could use it. So the first three chapters of the book of Galatians, Paul clarifies the gospel and what it, what it is. And then the third through sixth chapter, the rest of the book, he clarifies what the gospel does inside of us. So he tells us what it is, and he tells us what it does. And I want to read to you 
Uh, it's about 15 verses here, and then we're just going to hone in on one verse. But I want you to see the context of this passage. So in Galatians chapter 5, starting in verse 13, in light of all of that, uh, here we go. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say to you, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgressions, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch over yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. The great preacher Charles Spurgeon says Galatians 5 and 6 is the marvelous marks of Christ-centered community. The marvelous marks of Christ-centered community. This text is beautiful because it explains what happens in you when the Holy Spirit is active in your life. And then the text tells us what happens to us when the Holy Spirit is active in us. So did, did you see it? You walk by the Spirit. You don't gratify the desires of the flesh. You experience the fruit of the Spirit. You keep in step with the Spirit. You crucify the flesh. The Holy Spirit is actively transforming you into the likeness of Jesus, but don't you dare do that alone. You do that with us. And then we, together, being transformed into the likeness of Jesus, we love one another. We restore one another in gentleness. We keep watch over one another. We bear each other's burdens. It's beautiful. And this is where I want us to start our journey together as a church. Because in Galatians 5 and 6, you get God's design for the church and Christ-centered community. And that design imposes on our thoughts and our design for the church. And his design is better than our design. So if you're taking notes, this is the first thing you should write down. That the church is designed to be a spirit-filled people bearing each other's burdens in Christ-centered community. The church, that, that's us. By design, we are a spirit-filled people. The spirit is doing things inside of us. And we're going to have plenty of time in the future to talk about what that looks like because I, I know I read a lot of scripture. The, the spirit is doing something inside of us. And in light of that, we bear each other's burdens. And that creates a Christ-centered community. But let, let's be real. Every church everywhere talks about community. This is a gimme in the church. You've never been to a church where someone walks in and says, hey, we're glad you're here. 
I hope none of you get connected. I hope none of you like each other. Uh, there's no community in the church. But I tell you what, come back next week. We'll sing songs and a guy will tell us a speech and we'll sit in the dark and it'll be great. See you next week. You've never, you've never gone to that. If you do, you're like, you don't go back to that church, right? It is not hard to say you want to be in community, but it is very hard to actualize the behaviors that then create community in order for us to do life together. It is not hard to say we do community. It is very hard to actually pull off community. Uh, I once heard a joke about this in, in relation to Jesus. And the joke was that Jesus' greatest miracle is a miracle that's rarely talked about. His greatest miracle was not the miracle of feeding 5,000 or walking on water or healing the demon-possessed people. Jesus' greatest miracle that's never talked about is the miracle of being a man in your 30s and having 12 close friends. <laughs> Later, you're going to be like, that was, okay. <laughs> so some of you that are in your 30s, you're like, wow, that, that's a little too close. Like, all I have right now is my wife, and she barely likes me, right? Like, that's, that's where we are. And some of you who are not in your 30s are like, that won't be me. And the rest of us are like, oh, just wait. Like, you'll have a cat, and you'll be alone. Like, it's coming for you. This is called awkward laughter in the church. It's good. It's good for us. Awkward laughter is good. Why is this so hard? Why is this so hard? Galatians 6.2 is not easy. But if we want to be like Jesus and have this, and if we want to do what the scripture is asking us to do, what are the hurdles that are getting in the way? So there's a few hurdles that I can think of. One, one of them is, is culturally we live in a world of, that's obsessed with self-reliance. We live in a self-reliant world where, where we're... We're committed to our own independence, and we've even become self-actualized people that, that we don't want others to help us. We have personal identity, personal calling, personal savior, personal space, my own personal stuff, and radical individualism is the motto of the day. There are many people who would prefer anonymity to community. They're preferred it, and that, that's a cultural thing that's actually made its way into the church, and it's, it's a hurdle for us to get there. The second one is the fear of overstepping boundaries. Because of that self-reliance, many of us are afraid of getting into other people's business. We're afraid of, of asking someone to commit to something, to join the church, to be on a serve team, or, or to, to join a, a connect group. Like oftentimes we feel fear of that because we believe other people don't want to be bothered. I don't know if you've been to the gym recently, but if you don't wear headphones in the gym, you are a certified weirdo. Like, that guy doesn't have headphones, everybody. Red alert, red alert. Like, we go through the world saying, leave me alone. 20 years ago, if someone knocked on your door unannounced, your parents were excited to see who's at the front door. Now it's like, shut off the lights, everybody hide. Like, it is a scary thing. Don't be overstepping boundaries. I think many of you wouldn't even imagine going to someone, house, someone else's house unannounced. Like, that feels like a cultural foul. Like, oh, I should probably text them first or at least give them like a week notice so they can clean up the house. Like, seriously, these are, these are hurdles. And, and thirdly, vulnerability is scary. It is scary to be vulnerable. It's scary to put yourself out there. But in order to get to Christ-centered community, we have to put ourselves out there. But, but if we had a microphone up here and said, hey, anybody want to come forward and share some sins that they had this week? I don't think you guys will be running forward and fighting over the mic. Like, vulnerability is hard. And probably one of the most well-known books in this space is a book written by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and it's called Life Together. Bonhoeffer wrote this book about community when he was in the, the, the 
and the pressure and the oppression of World War II. He was in an underground seminary teaching students, and there was a season where he was alone and isolated, and he had no community, and he wrote the quintessential book on Christian community while he didn't have Christian community, and he longed for it. And he talks about this vulnerability, and here's, here's what it says. He says, it may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship, common prayer, and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. So everybody must conceal his sin from himself and from the fellowship. We dare not be sinners. Many Christians are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. So we will remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. But the fact is that we are sinners. Here's the power of this quote and why it moves me. The power of this quote is Bonhoeffer is saying that you and I can participate in all the church activities and all the pious programs, and we can never miss everything on the church calendar, and yet we can still feel alone and still feel not seen and not loved. One of the most heartbreaking things in the church is that people are tempted to perform here, and they're, they're, they're tempted to pretend here, and they go around, they participate in everything, but they dare not be a sinner. And we speak a language of being safe, but behaviorally we're scared to death. Because we can't imagine sharing our vulnerable stuff because, oh no, what would happen to us if we were to do that? No, if you want real Christ-centered community, then you have to be a real sinner. And by the way, you are. And so am I. You have to be vulnerable. You have to take the mask off and be seen. And that's where the power is. And that's where the glory is. That's where the beauty of the church is. But many of us walk around pretending that we're fine. And we miss out the, of the gift of this passage. So when it comes to community, you can either be known or you can be impressive, but you cannot be both. You can be known and all your mess and all the stuff you struggle with and all your vulnerabilities, or you can walk around pretending and be impressive, but you cannot be both. So Grace Church... As your new pastor, I dare you to be a sinner. I dare you. I dare you to quit trying so hard to be impressive and come as you are and find the community that you are longing for. I dare you to test the theory that it's safe here. I dare you to test the theory that the gospel can handle your deepest confessions. I dare you to test the theory that this community would rally around you if you were vulnerable and you shared what was really going on. Now, I'm obviously not advocating from this that we don't fight our sin and we don't, you know, help and create places where each other can feel like we're, we're getting victory over our sin. The Spirit is active and the, the text tells us that. But I'm just saying we're not there yet, so let's be honest. And the hurdles are real to, to get there. The hurdles are real. But the destination is so glorious that it is worth the effort. So how do we get there? How do we do what Galatians 6 is saying? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which, which immediately begs the question, what is the law of Christ? 
Well, well, Jesus tells his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. So Paul is taking that and he's going a step further and he's saying this, loving one another equals bearing each other's burdens. That's what it means in the text. So if you want to know who loves you, Paul is saying, just look around and see who bears your burdens. That's who loves you. If you want to know who loves you, look around and see who bears your burdens. And when we live like this, this this creates a contrast with the world that is so profound. They look in on this and it says, they'll know we're Christians by our love. Well, Paul takes it a step further and he says, they won't know we're Christians by our gatherings or by our songs or by our sermons or t-shirts or bumper stickers or posts on social media. They will know we are Christians by our burden bearing by our willingness to carry one another's struggles. In the Greek, this word burden is bara. It it even sounds heavy, and it translates as a heaviness or a weight or something that makes us weary and fragments our mind and our heart. And so the insinuation here is to bear one another's burden means to get low enough that you can get under the load that someone else is carrying. And you can shoulder some of the weight. You put yourself low so that some of the weight is on you as well. And you place yourself as a guard around their mind and their heart. One translation or one commentator says, bearing burdens is standing between the person and the weight that is trying to come onto them. That if that weight wants to come onto them, it has to go through you. I can't, I can't lie to you guys. When I read Galatians chapter 6, my mind, uh, my mind immediately went to the Lord of the Rings. And if you haven't seen the Lord of the Rings, it has been out plenty of times. So I'm about to ruin it for you, but you have had your chance, okay? So just you... <laughs> Like a, it's been out a long time, okay? So, and the books are better, okay? I know, I know, I know, okay? But the movies are great. But in The Lord of the Rings, we're introduced to one of the greatest characters in all of literature, and his name is Samwise Gamgee. And Samwise's job is basically Frodo's best friend, and Frodo is the guy who has to take the ring to Mordor to destroy the ring so that the ring doesn't bring about evil and kill the whole world. And Frodo is feeling the pressure of the ring and the desires of the ring, and it's coming after him. And his friend Sam is supposed to help him get there, and they're on this epic journey. And one morning, Frodo wakes up early because he's feeling the weight of the ring, and he's like, I can't bring Sam with me. And so he gets in a canoe and starts canoeing away from Sam, and Sam can't swim. Sam wakes up, realizes Frodo's not there, and he just goes into the water after Frodo, and he can't swim. And Sam is is coming after him, saying, Frodo, come back, and Frodo yells at him, go back, Sam, I'm going to Mordor alone. And Sam responds, of course you are, and I'm coming with you. I'm going alone, yeah, me too. And and this is where I'm going to spoil it. At the end, Frodo literally can't get to the edge of of, of the mountain that Mordor to drop the ring into the spot and, and he falls down he can't make it and Sam picks him up and carries this brother to the ledge and says I can't be- I can't carry your burden but I can carry you and he helps Frodo accomplish his destiny and if Lord of the Rings is not your thing then maybe you've heard of the Disney movie Frozen or Frozen 2 about the two sisters who were in charge of, I'm not sure what they're trying to accomplish, but they have trouble. They have things they have to accomplish. And in Frozen 2, 
Elsa finds herself in a firefight with the fire spirit, and Anna, who has no magical powers, chases Elsa into a fire. And in the great scene at the end, Anna, or Elsa looks at Anna and says, don't chase me into fire. And Anna looks back and says, if you don't want me to chase you into fire, then don't run into fire. Because I'm doing this with you. I'm bearing this burden with you. Now, I know that we do not face the burden of taking the ring to Mordor. We do not face the burden of saving Arendelle from a tidal wave that's coming from Atta Holland, I know. But we face burdens. And here's some of the burdens we face. There's probably more, but the burden of sin, the burden of stress, the burden of lack, and the burden of loss. And there's, there's ways we can serve each other in this. So the burden of sin. The heaviest weight a person can bear is the weight of guilt. I, I I believe every world religion is trying to answer the question, what do I do with my guilt? What do I do with my shame? What do I do with my guilt? And when someone has gotten themselves into a sinful situation that's caused pain and alienation and shame, there's a massive burden that comes with sin. And it is usually a crossroad in that person's life of what the church does in that moment, what they hear in that moment. In light of that scenario, God is asking us to step in and bear the weight of shame and guilt. We see Jesus do this in John chapter 8 with the woman caught in adultery. The religious leaders are, are going to try to stone her and they try to trap Jesus and he stands low and he stands between the religious people and this woman caught in adultery and he bears the burden and he protects her and he tells her, go and leave your life of sin and, and, and the burden of sin is what Jesus has come to carry for us and he's invited us to do that as well. The burden of stress, when someone is stressed about finances or about relationships or about health or this conversation that they had that went wrong or the fear they're having about their future. Like all of these things create a ton of stress in our life. And we are seeing in our world right now a mental health crisis is sweeping the nation and the church is positioned to bear that burden if we're willing to step into that space. We can bear the burden through prayer. We can bear the burden through helping people. Many of us are stressed out and we're alone in that. And the scriptures are inviting us to step in. Thirdly, the burden of lack. Some of us lack, uh, you know, the money to pay for medical bills or, or we have a vehicle that's failing or someone needs to get out of a certain situation and needs help. And there's places where we're lacking and the things aren't perfectly in the God's design and the church can step into those places. Now, I remember in our church in Washington, we had this thing called a connection card, and you could fill out and put prayer requests and drop it in a box. And there was a single mom in our church that had an eight-year-old son, and she wrote in a connection card, would a father and his son be willing to take my son fishing and hunting with him? That's what she wrote in the connection card. That there was lack in her life, there was a burden she was bearing, and she made the ask. And it was not hard for a family to step in and say, absolutely, we can help. We can bear that burden with you. Now, I'll never forget my senior year of high school. It's August in the year 2000. And I just come out of football practice in, in Texas. And my dad is sitting on the tailgate of his truck in the parking lot. And he goes on to tell me that my, him and my mom are separating, that a divorce is coming, that he's moving 30 miles away. And this whole thing kind of happened in a blur but long story short, we found ourselves, me, my brother, and my sister, we're, we're staying with my mom, and, and pretty quickly, we don't have the resources we used to have, and so we don't have as much money, and, and, and it's evident now, and I've, I've only been a Christian like four years, but our church realizes what's going on, and Thanksgiving Day comes around, and uh, someone knocks on our door, and when we open the door, no one is there, 
but on our front porch, there's a, like a really big laundry basket. And in the laundry basket, there's like a fully cooked turkey and ham and mashed potatoes. And like someone had done the yams with like the marshmallows on top and gravy and sweet tea. And like someone just saw that we were lacking and they just put food on our front porch, knocked on the door and left. And they blessed us and they provided, uh, they removed a burden from my mom on that day. And it's, it still moves me to this day when I think about the church stepping into that place for us. Lastly, the burden of loss. If someone loses a job or loses a relationship, some of the major places of burden are, are moments of divorce or, or moments of death, like the, the loss of a loved one. Uh, my wife, Amy, she grew up in Bakersfield, and her pastor told a story in a, in a church service I was at. He tells a story that... Um, when, when his daughter was really young, she was in an accident, uh, and she, she died in a, in, a, in a tragic accident. And he tells this story and, uh, about his friend John, and, and this, John had recently passed away, and so the pastor's telling this story about being at John's funeral. And he said a year later, after, after the anniversary of his daughter's death, John's family reached out to him and was like, hey, you want to get dinner? And it was like a random Tuesday night. He's like, sure, I'll get dinner with you. And they get dinner, they hang out. The John's family provides for him. It's awesome. The next year comes along. John connects with him again. Hey, you want to get dinner? It's like, yeah, sure. Third year again. And the pastor Roger at this funeral of John is telling the story to the church, and they'd never heard this. He says, for the last 34 years, John has reached out to me on the anniversary of my daughter's death and has taken our family to dinner. And they pay for it, and they celebrate, and they just talk to us. And, and they make that really hard day a little lighter because... Because there was loss. And so I, I think we can see that, yes, there are hurdles. And yes, this is difficult. But the destination is absolutely worth it. And it's beautiful. So it begs the question, how do we get there? How do we become this kind of church? How do we become this kind of people? So a couple things that I think we could, we could take on as habits that might help us live into this truth. Number one, we have to be in step with the Spirit as we talk to each other. So Galatians 5 is all about being spiritually minded and filled with the Spirit and living with the fruits of the Spirit and being prompted by the Spirit and led by the Spirit and in step with the Spirit. It's like over the top about how our hearts and the Spirit should be connected. Well, listen, when we talk to each other, we need to be spiritually minded. So here's what I mean. When you hear a need from someone or you sense a need, you be actively trying to figure out if the Spirit's prompting you in that space. So when I hear a need, maybe the Lord prompts you to move on it. Or maybe the Lord prompts you to talk to someone else who can move on it. Or maybe it's just you, you pray for that person. But often when someone says, will you pray for me, that is an opportunity for you to think, can I help in this place? Now listen, there we should pray. And, and by God's grace, I, I think together we're going to become a praying church. And there we should pray. And there are things only God can do. But there's also the truth that sometimes I believe God looks down at prayer meetings. And he says, half of that stuff could be accomplished by the church. Like, will you do this? And God's like, I have answered a lot of those prayers in the life of the church. Like, those things could be happening. So we have to be in step with the Spirit when we talk to, a, to each other. We must follow God's promptings. One of my fears for all of us is that because of the hurdles I mentioned earlier, that some of us have become numb to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and we talk ourselves out of the Holy Spirit's promptings. God prompts us to call someone. We're like, oh, I don't want to call, you know. God prompts us to say, can I take care of that? We're like, oh, I don't want to do that. And next thing you know, time goes by, and the Holy Spirit's trying to speak to you, and you've kind of grown numb to the Spirit, and you're no longer following those promptings. 
Let's be in step with the Spirit as we talk to each other. Number two, and you're not going to like this one. You ready? You have to invite yourself to help. You've got to invite yourself in. Most people have a hard time asking for help, so you just got to invite yourself in. You've got to lovingly move in and say, I'm going to show up uninvited. I'm going to help you whether you ask for it or not. I remember one Friday night, we had a party at our house, uh, and then like we didn't clean up. Saturday morning happened. There was a farmer's market, so Amy and I went to this farmer's market. We come home, and there's someone in our house doing our dishes. And one, we're like, how did you get in here? And we're like, well, you left the front door unlocked. And Amy looked, I'm like, okay, I did. I'm sorry. So they were like, the party last night was crazy. We figured we, we could help. And so they were doing our dishes. What they don't know is like Amy and I were actively fighting on the drive home about who was going to do those dishes. And God provided an angel <laughs> to do all that for us. And it really meant a lot to me. They just invited themselves in. Uh, you know, our, our oldest daughter, Harper, is eight years old, but, uh, you know, 10 years ago, Amy and I had a struggle with infertility, two to three years where we couldn't get pregnant. And there was a girl in our church that just, she decided to just invite herself into that process with us. So eventually when we told the church, hey, we were pregnant, praise God, this, this thing happened, we, we made it work. And then someone came to us and they were like, uh, you, you don't know this, but for the last two years on Fridays, I've been fasting for you and praying that, that God would provide a miracle. And listen, it, it would be weird and slash impossible for someone to stand in front of the church and be like, hey, we're struggling with infertility. Can I get a couple of volunteers to fast for the next two years on Friday? It would just really be meaningful to us. If you could just like not eat and pray, it would be awesome. If you, just could. you can't ask that. It's so, you can't. But someone just said, I'll, I'll do it. I'll, I'll just invite myself into that. It's powerful. It's powerful. People chose to bear the burden of our adoption costs with Lucy. They invited themselves into that. People chose to create a 24-hour prayer time when we were in China, and, and there were some things we had to see God do to make this thing work. Like People have invited themselves into my life, and I have been transformed by friends bearing our burdens with us. Transformed. And I want us to experience that together as a church. And listen, I need you to hear this. This is not a sermon about being kind. It's way more than that. This is, this is dangerous territory, and here's why. When we carry our burdens ourselves, we reject the power of the gospel and the purpose of the church. When you and I choose that we're going to carry our burdens ourselves, we are not doing a small thing with that. We're actually rejecting the power of the gospel and, and, and moving past the purpose of the church. And so here, here's what I mean. If you're new to church, this is good news for you. The gospel, and if you've been around, this is good news. This is just generally good news for everybody listening. The gospel is the good news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, took personal responsibility for our burden. A burden of sin that we could not overcome no matter how hard we tried. You could never overcome the burden of sin. It had us dead in the grave. And God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit looked down on us in our state. And they said, no, we cannot sit by and watch them be burdened like this. And Jesus was capable of getting under the weight with us. Christmas is the story of Jesus entering our burden he enters our burden with us. He joins us. 
In 1 Peter chapter 2, it says, He bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. By his wounds were healed. He bears our burdens. Psalm 68 verse 19 says, Praise be to the Lord, to God our Savior, who daily bears our burdens. Our God is a God who saves. From the sovereign Lord comes escape from death. Jesus himself says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Is anybody weary? Is anybody heavy laden? Amen. Then go to Jesus. This is the power of the gospel. And it doesn't just stop there. This is now given to the church. And the church now stands as a means of God's grace to the world. We are the ongoing work of Jesus in the world. This scripture is tied to the purpose of the church and the message of the gospel. You and I are commanded to bear each other's burdens because every believer is now a messenger of redemption. We are liberators. We are helpful. We are helpers. God is with us and he wants to use us to help set other people free. So yes, Jesus was literally with us in the world for a season. And now the Holy Spirit is with us. But this, this is the crazy part. God has designed the world to where when Christian community is with you, God himself is with you. When you have a brother or sister in Christ with you, then you have Christ with you. That's the design. So when, when someone's waiting outside in the hospital room, that's Christ waiting outside in the hospital room. When someone just sits there with you so that you can call and have that hard conversation, that is Christ sitting with you to have that hard conversation. When someone is there with you in the brokenness and the sadness, Christ himself is there with you in the brokenness and the sadness. When you have community with you, you have God with you. And this is so significant because everyone you've ever met and everyone in this room right now is bearing something that they haven't told someone. Everyone with us right now is being tempted to maintain an image about the thing that they are bearing. And some of you in this room are carrying things right now that you should never be carrying alone, but you're afraid to be vulnerable and you dare not be a sinner. And I say to you again, test the theory that this is safe. Try it. Test out the theory that the gospel is capable of handling your confession. Because some of you are being weighted down by sin. And today you're here so that the community and that the Spirit of God can literally lift the weight off of you. And you can leave lighter. So in Christian community, we have to be bold enough to barge into each other's lives. And say, your joy is my joy. Your sorrow is my sorrow. Your pain, my pain. Your victory, my victory. You cry, I cry. You rejoice, I rejoice. If you have a burden, Grace Church, make it known. Don't be vague. Dare to be a sinner. Would you be bold enough this week to tell someone, I I need you to bear this burden with me. I, I need you to bear this burden with me. And by God's grace as a church, we can develop the extraordinary skill of detecting burdens around us and then devoting ourselves to making those things lighter. In the book of James, the Bible says, confess one to another and you'll be healed. And so there's healing available by confession, by, help, by letting us help you bear the burden. And we don't just want to say that to you today. We want to actually move into that 
with our actions. We don't just want to speak it, we want to try it. And so in just a moment, the band's going to come back up and lead us in another time of worship. And here's what you're invited to do. You're invited to participate today. Down here at the front, we have communion available. And underneath your chair, we have an index card. And here's the invitation. In just a moment, not yet, we want you to grab your index card and write a burden that you're carrying on the index card. And then when you're ready, we want to invite you to come forward and to leave the index card right here in this basket and exchange it for communion so that we could even practice what it feels like to lay down a burden and then to take up the good news that Jesus has bore our burden on the cross. And I think some of you, you should actually have two cards under your chair. And so that's not just where it stops. This is just an opportunity for us to pray for you and for you to confess that to God. But then maybe you take that other index card and you write on it your burden and you hand it to someone in your connect group or you hand it to someone in your life and you say, would you bear this with me? And what's crazy is even if you feel like you have a lot going on in your life right now and you can't help others, the moment you commit to bear someone else's burden, the Holy Spirit of God gives you the grace that you need to help them. God meets you in that. It's beautiful. And so let's not just be a church that says this. Let's be a church that tries this and lives into it. So I want to pray for you. Then I invite you to pray and then write on your card and come forward and take communion. Let's continue in worship together. Father, thank you so much that this Galatians chapter 6 verse 2 is not a suggestion to us, but it's a command that you give us. And so, God, I pray that as we start this journey together as a church, that we would be a burden-bearing church. That, God, we wouldn't just speak a language of being safe. We would have actions that show that. We wouldn't just speak a language of saying this is a a Christ-centered community. We'd actually have behaviors and sacrificial actions that, that show that. So, God, by your grace, would you make us a spirit-filled people who bear each other's burdens so that Christ might be glorified in our midst. And, God, now as we continue in worship, will we have the courage to lay down our burdens and pick up communion? God, heal us in this place this morning. God, may we walk out of here lighter than how we came in. God, may it be so. We pray in Jesus' name.